Blog Talk Radio. Even today, there are those who are trying to silence our words. But the voices of this conference and of the women at YRO must be heard loudly and clearly. It is a violation of human rights when babies are denied food or drowned or suffocated or their spines broken simply because they are born girls. It is a violation of human rights when women and girls are sold into the slavery of prostitution for human greed and the kinds of reasons that are used to justify this practice should no longer be tolerated. It is a violation of human rights when women are doused with gasoline, set on fire, and burned to death because their marriage dowries are deemed too small. It is a violation of human rights when individual women are raped in their own communities and when thousands of women are subjected to rape as a tactic or prize of war. It is a violation of human rights when a leading cause of death worldwide among women ages 14 to 44 is the violence they are subjected to in their own homes by their own relatives. It is a violation of human rights when young girls are brutalized by the painful and degrading practice of genital mutilation. It is a violation of human rights when women are denied the right to plan their own families, and that includes being forced to have abortions or being sterilized against their will. message that echoes forth from this conference, let it be that human rights are women's rights and women's rights are human rights once and for all.
Greetings, 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 everybody. Welcome, welcome to today's show, TWOW. Today's topic, we're talking about women in future industries. We're hanging out with a special guest on today's share, Women in Future Industries. This person, an amazing woman, has been a pioneer and a woman who inspires social change through a social change initiative that drives social economic change in Africa. The focus area for this transformation is non-traditional sectors that are predominantly dominated by males, sectors such as oil, energy and gas, technology, construction, digital waste, green energy, media and art. Yes, that's what we're going to be talking about on today's show. What can we do? Let's talk. Well, welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome to all our guests in the chat. I'd like to remind you that all of our shows, for those of you who are not aware about today's show, can be downloaded in the archives. So go ahead and go to the archives where you can download all of our story two shows. So go ahead, follow yourself, download, download, download. For those of you who are in the chat and would like to call in, I'm glad to give you the calling number, which is for That is the number to call. If you're calling from outside the U.S., you have to remember to dial the country code and then call 646-668-8830. Yeah. So, welcome, welcome, welcome. Oh, I can see our special guest on the call line. This is amazing, y'all. You're in for a treat today. Absolutely, you're in for a treat. I didn't want to spill the beans. I will spill the beans after what we do on all our Her Story 2 shows. And that is what we call our little welcome party. You all know about our welcome party app. We give you all time to go and grab your pen and pad. Because as always, I'm a true believer of pen and pad and the power of writing. Because you never know when that, you know, that little pearl you wrote is going to come in handy. So go ahead while we go into our welcome party. Grab your glass of water. Some of you, I know, you're just getting off of work and you just want to relax. You can grab that beer or the ice cream for those of you in the U.S. in the heat. Yes, y'all be telling me how hot it is over there. So you know what? Go ahead, grab your ice cream, grab whatever floats your boat. But remember to come right back and hang out with us. As always, when we come back, we do what we do as we do it at History 2, and that is we dive right into today's share. Yes. That's what we're going to do. So here we go. Enjoy. And we'll be right back. Y'all, I'm going to play you some really cool stuff. I have something really cool for you. I know y'all are going to love this. As always, it's one of your favorite songs. I know some of you really like this, this mix. Big shout out to um, T1 Omo for their really, really cool mix. Yeah. So here we go. And when we come right back, we'll dive right into today's share. Enjoy. And we'll be right back. Like a 
welcome, welcome back, welcome back. As always, first thing I'd like to do is send out love to each one of you and just really thank you for all your support. So a big shout out to all of you, all of you who will be helping me out, you know, sponsoring the show and all that good stuff. I want to just say a big thank you to you all. I also want to remind you that today's show, as well as all of our other shows, are available for you 24-7 days a week. So you can actually go back and download, download, download and listen to all of her story two shows anytime you want anytime you want all right so we're going to get ready to go into today's share um we're waiting for our special guest to call back in um so nyakan Muneki is our special guest absolutely this is an amazing woman i'm going to tell you a little bit about nyakan Muneki. so nyakan Muneki, um she's a professional strategist Yes, and a transformational change consultant who has a track record of successfully transforming organizations for efficiency and productivity in innovative ways. Yeah. Her forte is re-engineering business processes. She's also, you know, one of her superpowers is team management as well, leading and management complex projects. Yes, she likes to do with all the complex stuff within time and budget, always, for organizational impact. She also focuses on business expansion and looks for the most effective and efficient ways. Yes, she's absolutely an amazing woman. So what I'm sharing with you all is what we like to call, you know, her superhero powers. You know, we all have them. We just need to find them. Yes, that's what we need to do. Yeah. So a little bit more about this amazing lady. Yes. I'm not done. Trust me. She's a jack of all trades. She wears many hats. She also is the founder of Wow which stands for Timeless Women of Wonder, yes. And she used this platform to create organizational cultures that drive and sustain the desired change within an organization. She's also uh, a woman who inspires a lot of women to take up challenging positions in the boardroom as well. Most of her projects have not only resulted in positive change for organizations and communities, but they have also developed people into new positions with enhanced and diverse skill sets that has benefited both the individuals and organizations. Yes. She's also one of our, you know, on our website, we call her organization one of the organizations that we love. Not only does she inspire women, but she also encourages women to, you know, build strong global networks and use these lasting partnerships to drive continuous change and impact. So there you have it. That is our special guest today, the founder of Timeless Women of Wonder. And really, she wears very many, many, many hats. Yes. So she's on the line, and I'm going to bring her in. So y'all, brace yourself, because this is a really, really amazing woman who's going to share with us some of the work she's been doing, really inspiring work to encourage women to really, really go out there and, you know, explore those territories that are usually like, oh, women don't do that. Oh, we don't touch that, you know, those industries. She's one of our pioneers in Africa. Yeah, so we're going to get ready to bring in Yakan and give her a really warm welcome because it's really an honor to have such an amazing woman. Yeah. So brace yourselves. Welcome back, all the guests. Herzlich willkommen, Mia. Ich glaube nicht, dass du hier bist. Herzlich, herzlich willkommen. Heute, um, wir haben eine sehr wunderschönes Guest. Um, sie heißt Nyakan Muneki. 
Und ähm, sie ist der Founder Timeless Women of Wonder. Ja. Und ähm, heute reden wir ähm, also bezüglich Frauen in Oil and Gas, Energie, Technologie, Construction, äh, ja, Green Energy, Media und auch Arzt. So, ich bin sehr gespannt. Ich freue mich, freu mich wie immer, dass du hier bist. Und ähm, schreib deine Frage, stell deine Frage, sie ist sehr offen. Und ähm, wir wollten eigentlich wissen, wie, wie können wir als Frauen also arbeiten in diesem Bereich. Ja? Bereich, das ich ähm, gesagt habe. So, we're going to give her one more welcome. That was a big shout out to our German girls who's actually joining us in this hour. So, it's really an honor. So, big shout out to you, Mia. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay, so we're going to bring in um, Yakan Munyaki. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to High Story 2. We're honored to have you there. Hanging out with us. Are you there? Yes, I'm there. Thank you very much. Yes, it's an honor, an absolute honor, hanging out with you today on our show, T-Wow on High Story 2. We are very, very honored to have you here. Thank you very much. What an honor. It's really an honor to be on your show tonight, Faith. I'm really looking forward to this wonderful hour together with you and your and your listeners. Yes, our listeners, and we have Mir, who's one of our German girls. She's really cool, and she was like, yes, I want to hang out and get to ask some questions and talk about future industries. So this is a really cool place for her today. She's really, really already lining up her questions, and she's already dropped one question to me, and that question is, you know, what are the challenges that are affecting women's advancement in these sectors, and why is it relevant for women to actually take up professions in, you know, what we you have defined as future industries. Why can't we just do what we've been doing? You know, we like those jobs. We enjoy the jobs that we've been, you know, the fields that we've been working up, you know, working in until now. So why should we change? Why is it important? Well, that's very, very interesting. I must let you know that um, for a very, very long time, women have uh, been intimidated by um, the way they perceive these sectors. So their mindsets are one of the biggest barriers and challenges to them taking great opportunities within these sectors. Um, and especially when you look at the developing countries, uh, that mindset is even much uh, uh, greater in terms of hindrance of women taking up these opportunities. When you're looking at the level of development, the level of education, the level of literacy, you find that um, what really goes on in the minds of majority of the women is the perception that is taken either uh, through cultural um, lens, a cultural view, or a societal view, which is predominantly male-dominated. 
So you find that um, there's a lot of opportunities in these uh, sectors we have mentioned, but very, very little uptake for women. Um, and, and, and you find that if you look at the statistics, especially if I speak about Africa, more than 50% of Africa's population is women. But you find that uh, very few of them engage in income uh, generating opportunities in some of the sectors that promise the greatest amount of, of uh, revenue generation and also social impact. If but why is that? Mm-hmm. Why is that? Why are they not um, grabbing these opportunities? Um, to, you know, because we know that the, you know when we talk about the industries that you're do, where you work, you know, you're encouraging women to go into construction, oil and gas, you know, technology, digital waste. All these sectors are actually shaping up our everyday lives, and women are also the ones who are running the households, at least majority of the time. Why don't they see the need to to get involved in designing their future? Okay, um, I'll give you a number of reasons why, and. Um, speak a little bit about each of these reasons one of them is the mindset a lot of girls growing up are looking and watching and observing the people who are predominantly working in these sectors being their brothers their fathers their uncles so by the time they're adults their mindset believes that these sectors are for men because they don't grow up seeing women uh, working in these sectors they also see the women working in these sectors doing a lot of sort of women-related jobs. They actually sell food, you know, uh, do a lot of the errand running to deliver documents and things like that, but not doing the technical skills within this sector. So when women feel that they have an opportunity in this sector, you find a lot of them come in as providing food, logistics, and services, whereas there's real opportunity for them also to tap in and engage in the technical areas. So one of the things is the mindset and the mindset that is, is, is developed when the girls are growing into women in the society is also the mindset of the men because the boy girl, the boy child and the girl child are growing in an environment where they both observe that the people who are working in this sector are predominantly uh, men. So when they become adults, this boy child and guy, girl child will both have the perception that these industries are for men. So they don't even, the men don't even expect women to be playing in this sector or to be working in this sector. So this is uh, generally one of the main areas that causes um, a barrier for women to take up opportunities. The other thing is education. You find that a lot of the education in these technical areas are, are, are mostly taken up by the boy child. When you look at STEM, the science um, and math, and all these engineering kind of subjects, you know, that somehow are technical, are mostly uptaken by men, by the boys. So you find that the pipeline for this oil, energy, gas, and very technical uh, sectors are predominantly than, than men. So one of the things, you know, let's talk about the barriers. We can talk about the solutions a little bit later on in the show. But again, you look at culture, you know, culture, most of the culture, you know, when, in, within Africa, uh, the culture plays a big role in uh, how society um, shapes what women do and what men do. So you find that in culture, most uh, men are cut out for what is considered the hard jobs, the technical jobs, the more difficult jobs, and the women are, you know, sort of culturally cultured to be doing the tender jobs, the nurturing jobs, you know, um, the jobs that do not need like technicalities. So you find that as adults even culturally, 
it it seemed to be you know a male domain uh these kind of sectors and then and then lastly you just look at um some of the 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 the, the laws and the and the policies that are, regu- are, are 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 available within those sectors the regulation is primarily created to to accept men and so it's not so friendly for women one example is you look at what women do women nurture children they get pregnant they have to give birth bring life into the world that process is a beautiful process and it needs consideration in some of these sectors but these sectors don't make it friendly for women to penetrate so women tend then to shy away from these sectors those are some of the, the 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 reasons that you find women not playing in these sectors even though there's great opportunities for wealth creation and job creation you know when you were talking about culture i was thinking about when you mentioned the different norms you know you know you know a lot you know the the culture in which you know we have different norms you have different laws and prejudices against women and their standing in society i was i was just you know i was thinking about you because of course i know your background right in computer science and you were also one of the first women you know back in the days when you know programming was really not cool right for women to actually take up this education and i know that you faced certain challenges could you share some of those challenges and how you were able to overcome them in a male dominated um male dominated um sector especially you know maybe 10 20 years back and even today you know women are still haven't reached that place in terms of you know yes. stem careers web developing programming and all that mm-hmm. so why I want you to share this is because i like us to share these challenges i know we like we don't want to focus too much on the challenges and more on the solutions but i think it's important that when the girls decide to pursue these careers that they're aware of what they need to overcome and they have the solutions of how to overcome and how to deal with these challenges that's why i would like you to share how you are able to overcome those and excel and even graduate you know top of your class mhm with mm-hmm. um that's really 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 important and it goes down to the root of um of uh, my upbringing you know i grew up in a family of six children we were three girls and three boys um my parents uh, you know believed that uh, the girl child should have equal opportunity with the boy child and i think that was just one of the first things that positioned me you know to succeed in what was not traditionally seen to be for girls um naturally i was uh, uh, humbly uh, gifted in the sciences and and and, and, uh, and across the sector of, of all different subjects the arts i i tended to be multi gifted so i excelled a lot in the math science you know biology chemistry kind of stem uh, like subjects and what i i really liked was that i had a father who believed in every child you know a mother who believed in in being whatever you could be so i think that primarily uh set set me on a path to be able to venture into the path mostly uh not trodden by a lot of women uh, in a cultural society where my parents were part of they helped to carve out uh and protect the decisions and choices that I was going to make growing up and even as an adult nevertheless i then came out into a world that was real you know because once you know despite having parents who supported me encouraged me um, nurtured my gift in the, in the math and the sciences when i was selected to 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 enroll into computer science and business engineering uh, class 
that was the first class of that nature in Kenya. And we were only five women out of 30 students. And the first year um, of the science, of the Bachelor of Science class, we were 180 students. And in our second year, then we had to cover out our areas of, 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 of majoring. And only 30 students uh, took up computer science because it was a relatively new subject within the country and within Africa. If people were being cautious, they did not want to venture into their known. So only 30 of us took this opportunity. And of the 30, we were only five women. When we got into the class, I remember our lecturer told us, the girls, that are you sure you're going to make it? Do you want to make a, another choice? Because even the teachers who are mostly male, look at the girl child or the feminine, the, femi the female uh, demography of their, their, their constituents to be sort of like uh, not so capable of, of succeeding within those areas. Because I remember them asking us, are you sure you've made the right choice? I mean, we'll give you a chance after one time to change. You know, you can take something less harder, you know? And we said, we, we, we will, we will. It, we, just like the, 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 the young men in the class, we were all venturing into the unknown and we were willing to take the risk. And that position, I feel that sometimes the expectation of women, there's an expectation that women may fail in, in these non-traditional areas. I think that sets women to work a bit harder than their male counterparts. So you find that the women who uptake these areas tend to either be, you know, um, very good at what they do and somehow succeed. And that was a story for, for me and for my, my, my classmates. I mean, the five ladies graduated top of the class when we, with honors when we graduated. But then we had the next challenge. We were coming into a world that didn't know what to do with computers, scientists. We didn't know what kind of jobs we were going to get. And uh, less, you know, it was more difficult even to look at women in this area. And a lot of times we found that because of the cultural setting and the mindsets of both men and women in culture, they kind of like kept looking at women like, are you good enough? You know, when they're employing a male computer scientist and a female computer scientist, in their perception, they feel, even though your papers can speak for themselves, that the male will perform better at the job than the female. And so you're continuously having this challenge of having to prove yourself and to work hard. That's a continuous challenge in these non-traditional sectors. People always tend to think, can, we, can the woman really do it? Even though she has proved that she has, she has been able to make strides in that area. And graduated with honors, and the five yeah. were the top of their class. And and why? What I what I what I I always like to ask people in your profession, with your background, who are in tech, to help us connect the dots as to why these companies don't see the financial benefits of having women in tech. You know, um, for those of you who do not know who what Tiwao does and who Tiwao is and who Nyakan Munyeki is, she also organizes a really amazing conference every year in Kenya. And um, it's represented by, you know, women and men as well, because she has a section about men building bridges. So it's represented by everybody, all walks, people from all walks of life, but it's predominantly, um, you know, focusing on addressing the issues and concerns that are facing the continent, the African continent. And uh, back to what I was going to ask you, that when we look at, you know, the technology field and all these, the financial benefits of having women in your design team, 
in your, you know, um, marketing, sales, all these from the tech aspect of it, when you're maybe, um, you know, like I know you all discussed in the, in one of your panel, panel sessions at the conference, Women in Future Industries, about, you know, most of the designs, for example, of cars are models towards men. And even the testing of the cars are tested on men. So these companies are actually leaving, like you said, more than 50% of their clientele, you know, when it comes to addressing the needs of these clients. You know, and one of the women in the conference actually made a really interesting statement. She said, it would be nice to have a car, you know, that has been designed with a place to place your handbag. You know, I thought mm-hmm. that was really cool. So I, yeah. I, I really don't understand why they don't want to tap into a huge um, chunk of the pie, you know, a huge sector of women, potential customers, by including yeah. them in the design, um, you know, in the design process of designing their products. Mm-hmm. Yeah, why is I that? Yeah, I think faith that's a um a combination of many different factors. If you look at um the world today, if you look at developed nations and you look at the the, the systems and processes, you find that if you look at the government systems, for example, in Europe, way back, you know, in the fourteenth, fifteenth century, these systems were primarily designed for men. Because when they were creating government systems and structures, the reality of the day was that women were primarily natural. They were not working in government. They were nurturing and bringing up families. They didn't envisage that women would be in parliament or in government one day. And it was a very difficult fight. <laughs> the women, the feminist movement, and all these different movements, the women's That's movement, true. liberation That's movements. True. They have to use those such yeah. words. Liberation. Yeah. Yeah, you know, exactly. liberate yourself from your male counterparts. I always say these are your husbands, your brothers, your uncles, your grandfathers. You should not be liberating yourself from your relatives, you know, from your family members yeah. who are benefactors of your development. Mm-hmm. Go on. Exactly. And that said, you find that as the years have progressed into, you know, more developing nations and, and higher levels of democracy and inclusivity, you find that when even even when the, the the leadership of the day, which is primarily men, are open to receive women into the game, you find that the systems and structures were originally not designed to accommodate these women. So you find that women tend to take longer to settle, have to work against the grain, simply because the systems were not created. So that's one way, one of the areas that you find a lot of work needs to be done just to bring that inclusivity and make a few shifts and and some alignments to bring in the women, but. That the reality is, initially, these systems are not designed with women in mind. And when you look at Africa and other developing nations, you know, we inherited a lot of our government structures and systems from, from Europe, you know, and, and in different parts of the world. So we inherited that kind of problem as well. Now, if I come back to the other side of, of this same equation, where you've asked me, how come, um, uh, you know, businesses are not going to deliberately and consciously involve women in decision-making or the top level in matters that concern development or economic transformation or business? The answer for me, I think, is data, statistics, information. It's easy to go about life with assumptions and perceptions. And so if you're making decisions on what life looks like, then you're very easily bound to miss out a very important constituent that would be relevant to 
your development, your impact, your revenues, and things like that. So if you then look at business, any business, look at statistics across the entire world, not just Africa. The biggest decision makers on consumer spending are women. Most women, most of the wealth of the world is in the hands of men. That's a fact for whatever reason. But the spending of that money in the household were primarily at least 70% of the time to 80% of the time be made by the woman. What towels are we having? What kind of food are we eating? What kind of furniture are we buying? What kind of and house are we the, buying? Mm-hmm. And that's a very what good point you make. Mm-hmm. And what kind of car? Yeah. And that's a very yeah. good point you make yeah. because we are spending, because, you know, we, we're talking about women in future industries. We are spending on products that involve technology, the cars, oil, you know, cooking, gas, mm-hmm. construction, the house, you know, digital yeah. waste, green energy, climate. We live on this earth. We need to take care of it. Media and arts, entertainment, exactly. newspapers, all these things. Why are we not? Yeah, and you know, what are we doing? Um, what are we doing to tap into these opportunities? Because you have actually raised awareness and done an amazing projects with how many women again in construction did you did gra- graduated in your program? We currently have 1,500 women who graduated in the last year, and we have 3,500 currently doing our training. That's a big jump, and this is construction, because, I mean, for these women to even take that stride, in my book, I think these women should have the hashtag, you know, hashtag, I'm a brave woman, you know, because I think, yeah, seriously, because just to say, I want to go into construction, you know, I think that's already shows a lot of confidence in the the first that you can actually do it, and then it takes a certain level of braveness, you know, to do this, yeah. but how are you yeah. able to penetrate through the mindset of 3,000 women in, and encourage them to believe in themselves enough to pursue a program in construction, and then most importantly, mm-hmm. stick it out, because joining a program, we can join a 1,001 program, but again, the challenge is to stick it out and to actually complete the program. How are you able to do this? What is the blueprint for those of, for those women or you know organizations that are going to listen to this and maybe want to replicate it in another country or another continent? Okay. You know, well, what can they do? Yeah, that's a very good question, Faith. Um, and before I go on to that particular question, kindly allow me to to touch base on on one other aspect of why. Uh, organizations, governments, and business need to loop in the other 50% in the equation. Um, You look at consumer spending, look at diversity. Men bring a different aspect into decision-making, into strategy, into business, and women bring a different perspective into business, strategy, and development. So when you have the two together, that diversity is rich, and you're bound to have a synergy that gets more results, more impact, more more revenues, you know, and is more sustainable. Well, again, the third area I want to bring into the equation is when you bring women into the equation of development, you're looking at a sustainable change because women have a double-sided benefit. When you put money in the hands of women, at least in Africa and in the developing nations, and I'm sure in the developed world as well, research has shown that women, the, where women spend their money will definitely touch on the family food, clothing, the basics, shelter. Time and time again. Mm -hmm. 
over and over and over. And that means that when you're looking at family, you're looking at communities, you're looking at the, the well, overall well-being of a community in a sustainable manner, then your best bet is making sure that the woman is involved in this equation. So and again, Yakan, before sense. you move in, mm-hmm. I, I want to just ask you something which I think is very important. And because mm-hmm. you're talking about partnerships and the benefits that women, when they have better employment, better jobs, when they earn more money, mm-hmm. they invest back in the family and in the community mm-hmm. overall, right? Everybody mm-hmm. benefits. When you invest in women, yes. seriously, everybody benefits. So why yes. is that? But when we look, for example, at, we'll take Kenya, you know, because, mm-hmm. you know, that's mm-hmm. where most of the projects um, that you've been doing are. Currently, mm-hmm. and maybe the statistics have changed, you have to correct me on this, but I think it's about 3% of women own land titles in Kenya. Yes. And we know um, that in Kenya, if you're to get a loan to grow your business, mm-hmm. you know, to even totally. just buy certain buy a house totally. just you know for your totally. own livelihood a title totally. deed is important to get those secured loans so if we are bringing in so much to the table men are the benefactors because they're growing up in the house of a mother who they're seeing is investing in so much in their education in their health and well-being why is it that these policies do not change yeah, the, you know, there's a mix there, Faith. The reality of Kenya and primarily a lot of places in Africa is that we're a patriarchal society and land belongs to men. Inheritance of land is given and distributed by men through men. And the systems were built with the culture in mind. So you find that culturally, you know, inheritance of land automatically goes out to men. Now, but you know, when we talked about Kenya, when we talked about yeah. your upbringing, you talked about parenting, which is very yeah. important. So you yeah. know, when we talk about that, it's very patriarchal. Who is raising these sons? Who is raising our sons to be patriarchal? Because in my book, well, the mother is the first nurturer. Yes, but you know, you have the role of the father and the mother, and it's a balanced role. And if you're living in a society that primarily has its culture. It has its roots. It has its cultural, you know, norms. You know, families in Africa are guided by those cultural norms. Now, education is there. Exposure is there. Now, it depends on the balance that the parents of the children take between, Mm -hmm. you know, the education, the exposure, and the cultural benefits. What are the good things to keep? What are the bad things that they make a decision not to have? And still, they are still tied somehow into the biggest circle of the culture because their societies. There's where people originate from, you know, the cultural communities. So it's a, it's a continuous work in progress. But what is most important to sort of address that big area of challenge, especially when you look at land rights for women, you're looking at um, the laws that govern the, the nation. One of the things that a few countries in Africa have made strides in, Kenya included, is to amend and create a law around land rights and inheritance. And right mm-hmm. now in Kenya... They have passed a law, um, I think it was about four years back, where women and men have equal rights to inheritance. And that's a good thing. So that then overrides mm-hmm. practice, and that then position women to access more land. Although its implementation is another, is another journey, but at least from a policy yeah. and regulatory um, framework, that's a right step in the right direction. Yeah. yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. So and you, now I think, because basically now question. the policies are in place, but now the, the families have to have that kind of a mindset switch. Because again, who you who inherits your land is up to you. It's your prerogative. 
you know, you give it to the best person who you feel can manage the land and, you know, make the best out of it. So if your mindset is still based on the male, then, you know, it doesn't matter what kind of policies are in place. You know what I mean? So, yeah, so that's, but that's really good progress, you know, when it comes to the land reform in Kenya. Mm -hmm. Sorry, you're about to say something? Yes, you asked me a very interesting question. How were we, Tiwa, able to convince women to take up opportunities in this male-dominated sectors? How were we able to get women to uptake skills development in construction and see it through? Um, I'd like to be very candid and honest. Like When we sat down and looked at why we even want to focus on non-traditional sectors as keywords, some of the reasons we saw was because of the opportunities for wealth creation and job creation, sustainability, the opportunity to affect and influence the environment today for a future for our children. Now, that wasn't easy. Again, we looked at the women's movement. We looked at the women's empowerment um, arms that exist. We asked ourselves, do we need to create a women's organization or do we collaborate? Because, we, you know, it makes a lot of sense to drive change through collaboration. So we don't have to reinvent the wheels all the time. The other thing yeah. we looked at was, um, look at Africa. Look at the countries in Africa. Where is the growth happening? Africa is in an industrialization state right now. And you're looking at Africa tapping into its natural resources, a lot of exploration happening, infrastructure development, tapping onto new talent, human talent, textile, leather, a lot of manufacturing happening. You're looking at energy being a continuous need for driving business and industrialization. And the in- energy of the future has to be green energy, renewable energy. So when we looked at the reality of what's happening in the continent, it made a lot of sense for male or female to tap into these opportunities. But when you look at these sectors, they're already growing and all that. A lot of the, most of the players are men. So we said, if Africa's rising and growing, economy is growing step by step steadily, how much more growth can we achieve if women come in? And you find that when wars break out in Africa, the most affected people are women and children. When exploration is happening and the environment is being affected, the biggest, peop- the most people affected are women and children. When you look yes, at yes, and there's a lot of statistics out there for those of you who. May may not may think no. It is a fact. There's so much statistics out there. It is a fact. The most vulnerable are women and children. And you know, for those of you who've worked in the sex industry, women trafficking sector, you know that 90% of the victims, I like to say survivors of women trafficking, are again women and children. So women and children are affected all round. So mm-hmm. it's really important mm-hmm. that, you know, when we focus on women and children, you know, like Nakan said, we're not ignoring the men. We'd like to partner with you, but I like to say it's like you have two people in front of you and one needs resuscitation, you know, they can barely breathe. Who are you going to help first? You know, you have to help the one who can barely walk, barely breathe. Mm-hmm. One can at least sit up and drink water and maybe even eat food. So maybe they can wait. You know, you have to help the one who can barely walk, barely breathe, barely survive. So... That's just for the, some of you who might wonder why we always talk about women mm-hmm. and girls, because 90% of women and girls are trafficked. The most vulnerable and living below poverty, again, are women and girls. 
and the most marginalized when it comes to getting access to finances again are women and girls. We give an example of getting a loan, simple loan, micro loans, small amounts, but they're somehow, you know, blocked from getting access to these finances. Yeah. So I'm just putting that out there. And, you know, for, for you men, you should also be, you know, like Obama says, I'm a feminist. And clearly he has read the statistics. Otherwise, he wouldn't be saying that, you know, because he knows who needs the help the most. <laughs> Go on, Yakan. Yeah, thank you. And that's really good uh, to put some of those things into perspective. But again, when you look at um, Africa and uh, perhaps some other developing nations, maybe in Asia, you find that the, the, the areas where change is happening as far as development is concerned is in government, in business, in the development agencies, in the cultural uh, setup. You find that in government, primarily most of the leaders are men, for good or whatever reason. That's the reality. In business, most of the top leadership in business are men. In development and in culture, most of the elders who make decisions concerning communities are men. So uh, when we were setting up TWAL, we realized that, look, if we want a prosperous continent, it means that we don't want to compete with men, but we cannot ignore the men. They're the people who are running the, the wheel, who are turning the wheels. So if we're going to bring women into the equation, which is very important to bring the other 50%, 50 plus in Africa, then we have to have a strategy where we have men at the center of the women's platform so that we are bringing in women into the equation, empowering women and working with men so that it's a win-win situation. And that's what Tiwo has done. Now, that approach has been one of the things that has helped Tiwo penetrate these male-dominated sectors because if you look at construction industry, uh, technology, gas, energy, you know, the digital waste, media, and art. It's, they're all, the, the leaders in these sectors are men. And so if you're looking at bringing in women into the sector, then the game changers for us is to work alongside these leaders in these sectors. And that's one of the things that we at TWO decided to do. Our biggest strategy is collaboration for greatness. One is bringing collaboration between all the sectors that are important, government, development, business, and political, and with men. So with that, um, we then went and uh, did a, put in together a two-tier strategy to have the leaders speak about what's happening in the continent, what we want the continent to look like, what's our vision for a prosperous continent, and what do we need to do. And we take that and we, the leaders of Africa, make it happen. Tiwa is about action. We can no longer be about talk. We have to execute. We have to go on the ground. We have to ensure that these ideas are implemented to the greatest demographic, which is the women in the grassroots. So um, we take that, and when we went down, of all these industries we have mentioned today, say, gas, oil, energy, digital waste, green, and media, and construction, the construction was the lowest hanging fruit because Africa is really in the thick and mix of infrastructure development. The second reason is a lot of the women in the grassroots, some have no jobs, some are marginalized, they're disabled, those who are sick, you know, with HIV AIDS, dealing with cancer. Some have been told they're useless because they are too old, they're over 45. Now, when you look at the potential of a human being, I think the potential exists as long as they're on living on earth doesn't matter what their age is. If they believe they can do it, they can do it. So we said, how do we get these women to look at the opportunities in this construction sector? What's the business case? 
what would be the business case to cut their attention and get their commitment. We went out and did some statistics and they're putting, what are these women doing? They're mostly washing clothes, farming, um, preparing and tilling land, doing dressmaking, those kind of jobs, which is great. What are some of them doing? Majority of them, you find, have no work, which is detrimental to the family, especially with the bottom of the pyramid. You find that for those who have no work, their children are completely vulnerable. They cannot go to school because they pay school by day. They cannot eat. If they felt sick, they can't access help. The young women start to have unhealthy relationships, so they land into early marriages, early pregnancies, HIV AIDS. And they get enticed into women or child trafficking. Because, you know, when you're vulnerable and you don't have access to resources, it's very easy for anyone to entice you and promise you the moon, the world, the sky, and the clouds, Mm -hmm. you know, and you will buy into it because, first, Mm -hmm. you've not been exposed to these things. You don't know these things. Maybe you might see them on television or on the streets or you see people pursue with all these fancy things. And so these people can promise you anything and you will believe them. And that's how, in my view, and also with my experience, I realized that this is how these girls are recruited. You know, they come from very poor families and they don't have anything to lose. So anything is better than nothing. And that's also why they stay in trafficking so long because when they think back about all the days they went without food, at least now they have food, mm-hmm. you know, no matter how little or, you know, so that's why it takes very long for these women actually to exit. So I like the work that you mm-hmm. do because, you know, when you were talking, I was just thinking that, you know, when you talked about the age and all the different stereotypes and, you know, the prejudices, I actually thought that your program through recruiting women in construction was actually, you know, promoting, or should I say hiring? You know, the power of diverse thinking, where you enable people with different experiences, age groups, ideas, totally. and backgrounds, totally. no matter totally. what, you know, what, who they are, age, you know, I remember one of these amazing women, you know, is she called, uh, what's her name, Hamda? She was, yes, I will, I will Hamza, have to Mama share Hamza that with you. 78 Mama years Hamza, old. y'all, before we get out of here, you have to remind me to share that with you before we leave here because she will actually tell you this is a profile of one of the women who, you know, graduated from the construction program. But it's a really inclusive culture, you know, where you're encouraging women of all age groups, you know, all backgrounds to actually, you know, live their dreams, you know, and try something mm-hmm. new. And actually earn a living. So in my view, you've actually saved a couple lives and a couple women from being trafficked, you know, because I would say prevention is the key, not starting to deal with the aftermath, because that is much more challenging. But prevention, prevention, prevention. Um, We have a call on the line. Caller with the last four digits, 4484. If you would like to join into the conversation, please press 1 or raise your hand, and we'll be glad to have you on the show. But Nakan Winyaki, just um, go on. Um, Sorry to interrupt you. I just like to let the callers know. Most of them just like to listen. But in case they want to join in, I just want to let them know that they're free to come in and just jump right in. Absolutely fantastic. Now, for any human being on earth, you need to give them, you motivate them to take up something. What was the motivation? What's the business case? We looked at the opportunities in the construction industry for unskilled artisans because getting to a skill level is a journey. What's the basic entry level? What is the opportunity there? And what's the amount of money they can earn? So when we looked at those who are doing nothing, those who've been written off by society in our cultural setting, you know, too old, you're sick, you're dying, you have HIV, AIDS, 
or you're disabled, you can't do anything. Those are written off. And those who are not working and are very vulnerable economically and socially, we look at that demographic and say, that's a demographic we're interested in because you are going to transform your life if you uptake these opportunities. Now, for those who are working, we also looked at what is the level of income they're earning. They're earning about $3 to $4 a day. When you look at the opportunity, that's much more. Actually, them. that's much more. I think you're talking about basically, I think Nairobi or you know the cities around Nairobi, oh, because right. the rural areas they earn yeah. much less. Yeah, they earn about a dollar to two dollars a day. You're right. Yeah, and when could you look be less because some of them oh, don't yeah. earn anything. Mm-hmm. That's why I said mm-hmm. you have a demographic of a lot of women who are not earning anything, mm, they, yeah. and some of them have been written off. But those yeah. who are earning money are earning between, in some places of Nairobi or Kenya, $1 to $2 a day, in some parts, 3 to $4 a day. So if you look at the opportunities for an unskilled artisan in the construction industry, they are, once they have got the training, they can earn up from $8.5 a day up to $15 a day. So the economic empowerment out of this intervention is great and it's tangible. The other thing Tiwo looked at was how do we bring pra- theory but practical skills to anywhere when these women out come out, they are practical for industry. They're able to go out and work. And so we looked at seven trade areas, which I'll probably share along, you know, if we have time in the show. And we actually put these women out. So when we went out, we realized that for the bottom of the pyramid, and not just, the, I think, just generally in the society of Africa, the mindset is, 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 is something that really we have to really work on. A lot of these women believe they're just poor, fourth generation poor. Construction is for the men, or they're hopeless, they're sick, or they're old. They can't do anything in their life. So we first spend a lot of time literally working on the mindset, the identity of the woman, their abilities, their potential. And we ensure that by the time we finish this first phase, they are feeling very empowered. They are limitless. They know they can do anything. And that's why you have 80-year-olds saying, I'm ready to take up masonry. You have 76-year-olds saying, I'm ready to paint, ready to take tiling. And we tell them to choose the area that they fancy, they, because we don't want to limit them. So because it's doing, and, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. and a lot of times these women... Yeah, these women, especially, I just want to put it out there that, you know, these women, the training that you did was actually um, with a group of women who are from Kibera. Now, most of you, I'm sure Kenya has been put on blast a lot of times because of Kibera, which, you know, according to a lot of media channels, is considered one of the biggest slums in the world, you know. But these women, they don't see themselves as women who live in a slum. You know, they are women actually who are very respectful. They have dignity, they have self-respect. And so they also don't like to be defined as women who live in a slum. And so I remember the conference, you actually said something very interesting. You said that we plan to turn this into Kibera slum and replace that with Kibera. Please finish. City. City. I don't know what's so cool. When we were finishing our training with these 500 women in the slum, they were so empowered, their mindset was so transformed, they believed in limitless, they could see opportunities, they were ready to take them up, they didn't see themselves as women they, you know, versus men, they saw themselves as human beings who can take up opportunities that can help their lives and their families. And when they finished, they actually crafted a song that said that they're moving in from Kibera slum into Kibera city. And that's a vision that we really feel is so powerful. I was so proud of them. 
they were also very proud of you, actually. And y'all, you have to remind me, even if we have two minutes left, I have to find, you know, Mama Hamza and share that with you so that you can actually hear first turned from a woman speaking about her experience in the program, graduating and sharing her Definitely. real life. I like to say Hamza, Mama Hamza was really like real talk. You know, she really told it from a woman who's been in Kibera for a very, very long time, you know, generational, you know, living in this poverty. She's been and so in finally, the for 74 yeah. years. Yeah, and so it was big for her to actually break out of this. Yeah, and real quick, um, we have 30 minutes left on the show, so I think we can still cover technology. Um, when, when, when I think of technology and I think of, you know, the climate change in Kenya, and especially, you know, we are, you know, Africa has really good, you know, very rich soil, really the perfect place for agriculture. But we also have the challenge of water, right? And we have the challenge of drought and flooding. We have those two, I don't know, polarities. You know, it's we're either mm-hmm. on one side too much or another side too much. And I think <laughs> that technology <laughs> is so important because, you know, mm-hmm. when I hear some of the complaints, you know, the women who were mentoring and actually she lost all her crops because of mm-hmm. the dry season, the drought, the rains didn't come and she lost all her maize, everything. And, you know, that was mm-hmm. a huge loss because, I mean, they're not living on millions, right? So that was a huge mm-hmm. loss. And I was just thinking that, why don't we store the water? Why don't we collect the water? Why don't we come up with some ways to actually have better farming techniques where we can actually mm-hmm. address these issues? Because the dry season, the rainy season, it's not unpredictable. What kind of technology um, can we, you know, I don't know, implement mm-hmm. from a farming perspective? That's what I'd like Hopefully. to know. Now, that's mm-hmm. such a beautiful uh, perspective, Faith, and it's truly a reality. I think uh, one of the things um, in unlocking the potential of Africa is going to have to deal with waste. Waste and some of the challenges that we face that we could actually turn around using technology. Technology actually is one of the biggest drivers and levers for you know, efficiency, for impact, for productivity, for increased um, revenues. It's really the future. It's a lever for the future. Um, if you look at the subject of drought, food security, you know, our agricultural technologies. A lot of countries in Africa are making headway, but there's still so much that can be done there. We look at Ethiopia. Ethiopia is uh, actually initiated a program, a government-driven program that's looking at water harvesting across every district. And it's done between government and the community. And they're Now, that is brilliant. Because we, we, when, when we have the rainy seasons, you know, when we have the floods, Maybe that could be replicated in one of the programs, you know. Of it's course. really, of yeah. Course. Mm-hmm. Of course. And um, when you're looking at um, the productivity of food itself, you're mm-hmm. looking at, um, at soil, soil, soil assessment technologies so that we're mm-hmm. not just planting blindly and expecting mm. a high harvest. You know, in Kenya, one of the things that we're doing I've seen uh, we've built technologies that can actually sense and do soil sampling and look at nutrients and advise on where you should plant, what kind of minerals and, and, and you know, um, thing, fertilizers you should put in different parts of the soil so that you increase productivity in a targeted manner. And that's mm-hmm. still ongoing. But the one thing that must change across Africa that we are struggling mm-hmm. with and we, are, we have created a slogan is the whole, you know, a lot of uh, small-scale uh, the farmers in Africa are women 
mm-hmm. and you find that they till the land with holes, which is very manual, capital intensive labor. It's very manual and very difficult to, to till land with it and get a lot of productivity. So we're trying to develop, you know, technologies to mechanize um, these tools that small scale farmers need to use. And that's a thing that is still um, ongoing in innovation. But ultimately, um, looking at maximizing uh, productivity on our lands and, and innovating, um, reclaiming land is still a big subject and a major focus area for a lot of the African nations. We recently had the TICAD conference um, in Kenya where, you know, two weeks ago, where 35 countries and 35 presidents of out of Africa came to Kenya to attend this major conference to look at how do we deal with some of the issues in the continent. And one of the areas that was center in the discussion was agriculture, food security. What are the technologies? How are we going to turn around some of these things? So, so Faith, a lot of things have to have to be thought about, implemented, tried out, innovated across what we call in TWAL future industries. That is where the future of Africa lies. And while we are while we are still on agriculture, is Africa um, looking to produce organic or are they embracing GMOs and saying, you know, we just care about productivity, we don't care about the quality of the food, we're just going to produce um, food? I'll say it's a combination of both. Um, I think there's there's a lot of um, focus and importantly so on organic farming. And one of the challenges that Africa is facing, ironically, Africa produced organically hundreds of years ago. That was the way to go. But over the last 50, 60 years, we sort of like moved a lot onto GMO and all that. And so right now you find the cost of producing organically is very high. That's something that Africa is trying to figure out. How do we just reverse that? But, but why uh, is it high? Because, you know, we know that, I mean, when we go to the farm, you know, um, for those of you who don't know how, you know, we operate on the continent is, even when we live in the city, we still have like rural land, we call it ancestral land. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's what, we, that's what we mean when we say when we go home, you know. So when, mm-hmm. when, when we as Africans, when we go home, right, we, we see, you know, they, they, they pick up the corn or the beans or everything, and then they just, you know, polish them, you know, traditionally and then reuse them. So why is it why is it becoming more costly? Why would it be more costly? Because these are this is how I have seen it at least you know over the years you know they have yeah. the granary they they you know they reuse the seeds. So where's the cost factor coming in when it comes to like just for example you know maize beans and other cereals? Yeah, um, I may not have the facts and statistics off the top of my head, but things like. If you look at how Africa has been producing over the last 20, 30, 40 years, we've been using a lot of fertilizers, which have a lot of chemical in them. It's changed the, the constitution of our soils. Um, you know, climate change has affected the rain patterns and all those things. Things that were just naturally available and no longer mm-hmm. available, like you know, even the, the nutrients within the soil. So now mm-hmm. to produce organically means to reclaim the soil fast, to treat the mm-hmm. soil so that you can have an, a great, you know, um, uh, productivity out of every parcel of land that is farmed on. Lots of factors like those, you know, that are, are creating a mix. And so you find that some of the research that's happening in, within Africa as well is um, looking at how you can embrace GMO in a safe way because really it's a practical. It's also practical for food productivity and all that stuff. So these are some of the things that are still um, in science, in, in technology, in research, 
innovation. Yeah. yeah, I'm just bringing that up because, like, here in Denmark, like, GMO is not, like, it's not seen as cool. I mean, people really shop organic, and a lot of stores are, you know, they really, whether it's 100% organic or not, they know it's important to have organic products. And mm-hmm. also, I would have to the industry here in Europe is very, very highly regulated. And some mm-hmm. of the GMO big multinationals actually have been kicked out of Europe. So I would like to do mm-hmm. more research to see where they went. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I'd also like to share um, something that I, mm-hmm. I, you know, which actually fell on my lap, you know, when mm-hmm. we were mentoring one of the women who were mentoring, who's a farmer in Kenya, she shared mm-hmm. with us some of the pesticides and um, herbicides that she's using. And this particular one that she was using, which she was using to deworm her cows, actually was illegal and it was burned in Kenya because it had mm-hmm. it had cancer causing properties. But for some reason, mm-hmm. you know, she's not got internet access, she has problems doing all this. So, you know, when you're in the rural areas, they don't have access to internet. So their research is limited. The article warning the consumers and the farmers not to use this product was in the newspaper, but again, it was an online journal so they didn't have Mm -hmm. access so you can imagine that huge amount of people who don't have access to these resources Mm -hmm. they cannot do the research and they're using herbicides pesticides deworming you know whatever they're using this product they're using on their farms are cancer causing Mm -hmm. products she had no clue Mm -hmm. so we asked her where you buy it she said just in the store so Mm -hmm. if we were not mentoring her she was actually very happy with the product no, she was happy with the production, but she was not aware. She was not, no, she didn't accept it, but she didn't know, you know, because no, she doesn't have true. access to internet. She doesn't have the resources to do the research. And this is the advice she gets. Use this. It's good. And that's, again, what she has available in her community. It's not like she's spoiled for choice. You know what I mean? She's in rural, you know, parts of Kenya. So when Mm -hmm. we talk about GMO, again, I think, because you will be working in this sector, I think that's something that we should really put in the forefront because Mm -hmm. it's okay to increase productivity, but it's counterproductive if then, you know, we're eating this food and we are all coming up with cancer. Then, you know, you're addressing hunger on one side and then you're actually increasing the bill on the health side, you know. Yeah, that's a really good point, uh, Faith. One of the things that I think... Um, the leadership within the continent has recognized is health and the sustainability of the future, whether it's for mm-hmm. our land, whether it's for the food we eat, whether it's for mm-hmm. you know our health, our health status. And um, if I speak about uh, some of the people that are, we're engaging with in that subject matter, we have some people innovating organic fertilizers using mm-hmm. rabbit, That's great. Rab, rab, rabbit urine. And, you know, oh, it has multiple, cool. two, two multiple effects. So you're producing the fertilizer and you're also increasing, you know, uh, uh, opportunities for income generation through rabbit farming. You know, so rabbits have become another source of protein for the nation. And that's a whole new old economic opportunity as well, you know, for wealth and job creation. So, yeah, it's, there's lots of work to happen there. Um, another thing that we're looking at is innovative ways of, of storing, storing um, grains in, that don't need to be expensive. So we're innovating, you know, some storage bags that, that can keep grain for up to 36 months without it going bad, which is sort okay. of good because way back in, in Africa, we had granaries that could store food through seasons. 
Um, yeah, that's and what I is, remember and, seeing, and, and, yeah. you know, the granaries. Yeah. 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 Um, and just yeah. real quick, I just need to let the callers who've just come in, I want to give you one more welcome. You're hanging out with us on Her Story 2. Today's show is Tiwa, and we're hanging out with Nyakan Munyaki, who is the founder of Tiwao, Timeless Women of Wonder, and we've been talking about um, women in future industries in Africa. So I'd just like to let you all know all once that your mics are open, so just feel free to jump in whenever you please, and, you know, just join us in our conversation. And, yeah, we'd like to hear your opinion, so feel free to just jump in whenever you're ready. If you want to just enjoy the show, go ahead <laughs> and um, just enjoy. Mm-hmm. Go on, Nakan. Excellent. Yeah. So lots of opportunities, um, lots of uh, opportunities to look at where we're at, where we want to go, what needs to shift, where do we need to make the changes so we can increase productivity in a healthy manner, in a sustainable manner, tackle that issue of food security. Health is also a big issue, the environment, and then get get the, the economy growing. Yeah. Call up with the um, first first three digits two four zero and last four digits four four eight four. You can join me whenever you please, okay, if you would like you. to. Oh, welcome, 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 welcome. Can you tell us who you are and where you're calling from? Well, my name is Black Gladiator, and I'm calling from Washington D.C. Okay, so welcome, Black Gladiator. You're hanging out with us on her story too. Um, would you like to ask our host a question about women in future industries? Do you have anything you'd like to add? About women in the future industry? Yeah. Um, uh, we're talking about women in technology and construction and um, as well as, um, yeah, we're talking about basically technology. Women in technology? Is that, mm-hmm. that it? Yeah. Well, yeah, I would like to say something. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Um, um, it seems to me that a lot of men would say that women can't do a man's work. Mm-hmm. I would like to know. I would like to know how does women, how does the women on this radio show feel about that? Do you think it's a man's job or no? Okay. Well, Nyakan Munyaki, there is a question for you. Can you address our caller's question? Yeah, sure. Um, do we women think that a lot of these things are a man's job? I'd say a lot of women do think it's a man's job because of their orientation, their cultural upbringing, the level of literacy, and access to information and opportunities in those areas. So you find a lot of the women in developing nations quite widespread in Africa, believe that a lot of these industries are for men. Um, and at Tiwa, what we try to do is we try to demystify what really construction is. When people think construction, they think of a man with muscles and stones. And we <laughs> like Johnny go, Bravo. <laughs> exactly. So when we're dealing with these women, a lot of the women in construction that are part of uh, the Tiwa uh, training are very beautiful, well put together, smart, brilliant women with their hair well done, with makeup, doing great jobs in the industry. So that automatically, when they look at these women, it demystifies that perception that hard work, very difficult, stones, and probably if a woman is in that industry, she has to be ugly, rough, muscled, and all that. No. 
And then we de demystify what construction is, what is construction. It's really infrastructure, it's opportunities, it's design, it's recycling. And technology as well, because... Yeah, he also mentioned technology, you know, so, you know, it's also that image of programmers. And, you know, um, exactly. just real quick, um, because I just, uh, this just came up in my mind when you were talking about the image of women, how mm -hmm. they're portrayed, yes. you know, you need to be totally. this way and that way. Um, what is the role of media in that? Because I think media plays a very important role in building and, you know, reinforcing these stereotypes, you know? Exactly. The stereotypes are real. You find that when they paint a, a computer programmer image, it's a geek, you know, somebody serious looking with some big glasses, sitting behind lots of techy things. And you find people who are beautiful, you know, wear their makeup, smart, brilliant people, stylish, don't look like programmers. Half the time when I was a coder for seven years, when they said they want the lead programmer in the room and I'm in the room, they're still looking for somebody else. And someone <laughs> has to say that she is. Because you, know? you don't, you're not wearing, um, like, like you know, yeah. one of our previous yeah. guests, she was on the show, she's one of our STEM ladies, and she said, you know, because she, she didn't walk in with, you know, an, over, an oversized t-shirt, and, you know, exactly. pizza stains on her t-shirt, mm -hmm. <laughs> and mm -hmm. they don't think you fit mm -hmm. the profile, <laughs> I thought that was so That's funny, true. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. yeah, 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 mm -hmm. go on, um, we have 15 minutes left on the show, do you believe that African women are ready to take up these opportunities? Are we ready? The answer is absolutely yes. I was absolutely mm -hmm. pleasantly surprised when dealing with 22,000 women, that 4,500 of them signed up instantly to take up the construction um, um, skills training and the opportunities to work in the industry across seven trade areas you know, the tiling, the roofing, the painting, the, you know, plumbing, electrical, designing, furniture making, all, all those. And one of the things that I noticed that I can say yes, they're ready, is as long as you tackle the mindset, the perceptions, and you're able to bring the value of what this offers them, they're absolutely ready to take it up. Yeah. Nyakan, real quick before I take us out of here, we've talked about, you know, we've covered quite a bit, quite a, a large chunk of topics here. But I think we need to just um, talk real quick about, you know, we're talking about women in future industries, but we know that our young girls are growing up to be these women in the future industries. Do you mm -hmm. think that we are actually giving them the tools and resources to be ready to tackle these future industries? There's so much more that we can do. I think we need to mentor a lot. We need mm -hmm. to use... Uh, platforms uh, like media to actually shift the narrative around the perception and the information around these industries. I think mm -hmm. more women should be exposed to take up opportunities in technical areas, vocational areas, this kind of, you know, opportunities that people don't think girls can do. And mm -hmm. I think they have to see role models, women who are actually succeeding in these sectors, you know, making it, it's not always easy. Also, I mm -hmm. think authenticity is so important. One of the things that we are very open within our trainings is the, 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 the truth. Let's be authentic. This is what it takes. This is the truth. This is the journey yeah. you're going to have to take. This is what it looks like, but this is the reward. So just yeah. be more authentic, yeah? 
Yeah, and, and, and just real quick, you know, I mean, Kenya is so diverse and the continent, and we know that. We cannot compare Nairobi and the girls in Nairobi and in schools in Nairobi. For example, girls in rural parts of maybe Nyanza, Central Province, or Eldoret, or, you know, Rift Valley. We can't compare those. That's just real talk. And we have, we see a high dropout rate. We know what the issues are, you know, child marriage, child trafficking, rape, um, you know, they have to also be, you know, the breadwinners at home as well, right? Because, you know, they're, they're, they're needed at home. Mm-hmm. What are we mm-hmm. doing to actually turn this around, you know, make that shift to ensure that our girls are in school? Because for them to tackle these sectors, they need that mm-hmm. solid foundation because you're not going to teach her how to program when she cannot add one and one. So we have to make sure that our girls stay in school. And what can we do to ensure that the girls stay in school? Yeah, the most important underlying thing that uh, cuts across all the different parts of Africa is looking at context. You're right. Not every single place in terms of its level of development, literacy levels, access to information, access to education, cultural practices, a lot of things affect um, girls, you know, and, and their education and opportunities and, and what happens with their lives. So one of the things that we, a number of things that TWAL has done is we've developed a strategy that allows us to look at context and, and address the underlying conditions before we pour in the technical aspects of the work that we do. Government is a key player because government of, governments of Africa cut across every part of their countries, irrespective of the districts or the cities or the counties. And so when we identify a problem and we have government, whether it's county government or local government behind the work we're doing, that it means that when we identify a particular issue that's relevant to a particular district, county, or, or city, then we have government helping us with the local administration to address some of those things. Then also remember I said that TWAL is about collaborating for greatness. And we deliberately bring in cultural leaders our government leaders, our business leaders, and our development leaders into the equation. Why the, the cultural leaders? They are the elders. So if, for example, we see a community's biggest issue is child marriages, then we work with that elder, those, the group of elders, to turn around that, because they have a say in the community, to turn that around for the girl child in that community. And when that then happens, then it makes easy the intervention that we bring to that place. So it's a multifaceted uh, and contextualized approach to handle these things so that whatever intervention we bring is sustainable and does not um, bring disharmony in, in the environment that we are working in. Yeah. yeah. And ultimately, yeah. the government will enforce policies that will correct the issues and hopefully, uh, moving forward, it makes it easier for the girls in yeah. the different communities to keep uh, uptake in this. Yeah, and I, and I really I agree with you on that. And I think overall, the work that you do in these sectors, it's it's going to have a ripple effect in actually driving social economic change in Africa. Because I, I truly believe that if these women have ways to earn money, you know, if they engage in income generating activities, then they'll start to you know need the girls less in the farms, you know, because their level of income is increasing, and so they will also start to shift their mindset on other things. You know, they always they the same that we throw around here in Denmark is it's hard to be creative on an empty stomach, you know. Mm-hmm. So when we address these challenges by actually you know providing these women with um, you know the skills they need to uh, you know have jobs, you know, engage in income generation activities, the income level of the family starts to increase, then, you know, I think perhaps 
we will have a reduction in these social, you know, destructive behavior or social economic challenges that, you know, face the continent. Yeah. Yes. And on one, that note, yeah. I want to thank you, Nyakan. Yes, yes, yes. Go ahead. What did you want to say? Yeah. One last thing that I'd love to add just before we end this beautiful show is um, a slogan that we are changing um, in Africa. Mm-hmm. There's a slogan that goes out saying, anything a man can do, a woman can do better. Now, Tiwao is changing this slogan and narrative to say that anything a man can do, a woman can also do. So we're not putting in negative competition within the families and within workplaces and all those, but a partnership between men and women. Yeah, I agree but with you. And it shouldn't so be about it. competition because I always say... Surely you're competing against your husband and you're competing against your father and your brother and your son. I mean, you should actually be thinking of building strong partnerships. And like you said, I believe in the slogan collaboration for greatness. And I want to thank you so much for hanging out with us. Um, We are so honored that you actually took the time out to share all these amazing, you know, projects and work that you have been doing. And um, yeah, we look forward to, you know, working on some of these amazing projects. So let us know how we can contribute um, towards, um, you know, moving Africa forward. We absolutely would love to um, be engaged and to also get on board on some of these amazing projects because we're all about prevention, prevention, prevention through education, entrepreneurship, and employment. So, Nakan, take us out with some words of wisdom or if you can give us a blueprint real quick, just drop a pearl. I know you have so many of them. And those of you who actually took my advice and took a pen and a pad, you know, I'm sure you've gotten a few pearls on this show today. Yeah, but take us out of here. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure to, to be on this show, Faith. I've really enjoyed it. I cannot believe how fast the time has um, flown. And I'd just like um, to, to leave you with, with one thing. Indeed, it's time for Africa. Africa is rising. It's the next frontier. And together, friends of Africa, Africa, it's time to make that change. Yeah, that was beautiful, and that's well said. So there you have it. That was Nyakan Munyaki hanging out with us, founder of TWOW, and um, she has shared some of the amazing projects. So those of you who would like to get involved, feel free to actually get in touch with TWOW. You can actually go to twowafrica.com and, you know, drop them a message, drop them what I like to call love bites. Let them know about the good things they're doing and encourage them to keep going. You can also find ways to support the different projects. Yeah, we're all about support, support. We truly believe in collaboration for greatness. So go ahead and do that. Um, Today's show is available for you to download, download, download. So go ahead and, you know, download the show. They're all available to you, so you can listen to them anytime you want. We've covered several areas, and Nakan has actually shared some high inspiring um, projects um, where she's actually, you know, providing access to these women in industry, helping them build networks and connections. And through mentoring and all the training and capacity building, she's providing these women entrepreneurs in Africa with business and financial skills as well. And um, we all know that. As Oprah says, no one has made it on this planet Earth without role models. And in our book, she's one of our role models, and we'd like to continue to encourage her to do her good work. So as promised, I said I will definitely take us out with Mama Hamza. Yes, absolutely. Y'all have to listen to her. And this is what one of the amazing women who graduated 
from the Tiwa Construction Program. This is what she had to say about high experience um, as part of the program. Yes. Um, I mean, it's really inspiring. So I have to share this with you all. So enjoy. And you know what? Thank you for listening. Thank you for hanging out. And we look forward to having you back on the show, Nyakan Winyaki. Will you be back on the show? (laughs) Absolutely. My pleasure. (laughs) Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We appreciate you. And do have a good night. Bye-bye. You're most welcome. Good night. Okay, so I'll leave you out. I'll take you out with Mama Amanda Ahmed. Okay, enjoy and have a good day. I'm Mama Hamza Ahmed. I am a Nubian by trade. I was born in Kibra and I'm over 70 years. And what I'm doing in Kibra, I'm a women leader. I try to mobilize women, to empower women in Kibra. Uh, that's how Nyakan came to Kibra to found us. When she came first, she was looking for, for women leader. Then she found us and we came together. We organized women and then we came together and then we started this uh, Timeless Women Rwanda. That's why we are here today uh, to celebrate and we are here from, from Wednesday uh, for this conference of Timeless Women of Rwanda. And we meet so many women from outside Africa, from inside Africa, Nairobi, Kenya, and from outside Africa also. And I'm very happy for Mrs. Nyakan because since I was born in Kibra, I've never, never come across such things. Because in Kibra, Kibra is just like, uh, I don't know what I can say. So many organizations come to Kibra. So many organizations that come into Kibra, but they are doing nothing. After they come, they talk to you, and then later on, they're nowhere to be seen. But uh, Nyakan, when she came to Kibra, she mobilized, and then we started Timeless Women of Rwanda, and they are doing wonderful. It is going to help the, the women because it is going to be as employment. They'll be hired to go and build, do construction, and they, they'll get living to help their family. This is wonderful. This is wonderful. I'm over 70 years. I've never come across such things because so many, 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 many organizations are coming to Kibra. But after they came, they got the information and then they disappear. We don't get anything from them. But Nyakan, surely, this is sensibility. Sensibility. Because women will work for it and they'll get income and they'll educate their children and the, the income in the house, they help their husband and their children. Wonderful. And I'm proud of her. She's a woman and a half. I'm proud of Nyakan, surely. If we'll be getting so many organizations like Nyakan to come to Kibra, they'll change the face of Kibra. They'll change the face and they'll empower women because, you know, women. If they're sitting there doing nothing, 
that there will be no peace. But a woman have to contribute something, cost sharing these days. A husband can contribute something and a woman. That there will be peace in the house. I am proud of her. I'm proud of her. And at my age, she's just like my firstborn. God bless her. And God gives her the way, the way out, so that she can help so many women.